You're listening to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. We're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Bringing you the latest news, views, and abuse from across the United States, here's your hosts. And we're live. Welcome to Earful of Dirt, the Major League Rugby Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Corey Munson, coming to you live from Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, joined, as always, by Aaron Castro in Arizona and Liam Poach in Houston, Texas. Josh Fredlin's over in the comments section, moderating the show for us, so be sure to hit him up with questions, comments, and abuse throughout the evening. So, guys, how's your week been? Well, it's actually kind of warm, so I'm going to take this this lovely scarf I have on off. So uh, <laughs> I might keep the hat on, though, because I'm balding. Uh, Freaking Dan Brown's email in the corner of my screen making me laugh right now. Uh, funny man, Dan Brown. Uh, how's, how's the week? Well, so far, the week is crazy because the playoffs have decisions have been crazy. But I think a, a bunch of fans in general would be very happy uh, about uh, home field advantage being in play, uh, whether you're the, a San Diego Legion fan or uh, – Seattle Seawolves fan because it was very touch and go, to be honest. Uh, if I mean, Liam knows because he was almost asked, he was asked to prepare to cancel his vacation. Um, but, uh, well, about those that U10 elite soccer tournament, well, I don't know what happened, but uh, Shane Skinner, owner of the Seattle Seawolves, he made it happen. Starfire Stadium will host. It's first Major League Rugby Championship Series semifinal, so that'll be pretty cool. And, you know, if they if they take care of business and somebody else doesn't, they might host a final, so that's pretty cool. Can you imagine what Seawolf fans would be like if they hosted the championship? Like, you know, like so first I, I need to ask, do Seawolf do the Seawolves still put up that you know the whole respect the kicker thing on the on the screen, or do they ask, or, or, or just have they given up on that? I don't. I don't. I, I think most of the time, like I think we're we're over it. Maybe I, I haven't been Starfire. In fact, uh, if things work out, I will be in Starfire this weekend for uh, a show that I also work on. But it will be MLR kickoff live, possibly. Uh, I'm, I'm working on that. I might be in San Diego too. Uh, I was. Almost possibly in both cities. Uh, this this whole thing is like very rapid, so we'll find out. Um, if I'm in Seattle, I can't wait to uh, go up to that because it's just going to be loud. Um, because I'm like Torero, which will be loud too. Uh, they've got this this overhang which keeps noise in. If you watch like Premiership rugby, um, something about Seattle and the architecture of their stadiums just makes shit loud. Like. <laughs> It's it's smart. I mean, it, it yeah. gets, like I you know I, I wouldn't say necessarily uh, the noise affects kickers too much. I mean, people like or like I think noise like making noise for a kicker like that says you. I mean, not to get into that debate, but that says you actually respect him because you're trying to make it as difficult as possible. And but kickers like pitchers. If anyone's ever, this is a great baseball reference. If anyone's ever watched for the love of the game. Kevin Costner goes like inside his head when he's pitching. It's a clear mechanism, clear 
mechanism. So that's probably what goes through a guy like Sam Windsor's head who takes too long. Every That's another thing in Major League Rugby and in rugby in general. You got 90 seconds. What's up with y'all taking all 90 seconds? Come on, man. Let's 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 keep the ball in play. What do you mean? What what's with taking all ninety seconds, dude? Have you ever tried to catch your breath after like you know a, a twenty plus phase drive? Well, also, you know, trying to kill the clock. Well, well, if it's twenty plus phases, you ain't got no fly half doing twenty plus phases. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh. Does that does that does this count as a as a long tangent that people can drink to, or or be, because it was rugby related that? It, I don't know. Yeah, who um, knows? Do at this point we're moving into championship season. Do we need a reason to drink? I don't so, think so. I, I think we'll talk about it uh, later. But uh, uh, so the SaberCats were the first team to let go of their coach. Um. Well, the Austin Elite let go of their staff middle of last week. Um, uh, I don't think that really changed anything for them. Um, they always play. We'll talk about how they play. Uh, and as of today, uh, 4 o'clock Pacific time. No, 3 o'clock Pacific time. 3.02 to be exact. Uh, it was tweeted out and posted on the Facebooky that Dave Williams has been fired. Well, it, it didn't say fired. It said is leaving the organization with me for immediate effect. So that is uh, the euphemism in English in the English people uh, when they fire their coach in rugby for immediate effect. Blank leaves the organization. So he will be leaving the organization. So we'll talk about. Office, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll pundit some of that on the back end of the show. But yeah, so that's sort of how everything's been going in Major League Rugby. For me, at least. Holy crap! You got anything? We, we we were still on the part of the show where we tell people how our week's been. Yeah, yeah I, I I thought we were like a quarter through the script already. Uh, my week has been my week has been good. Uh, you know, so it's it's been actually kind of boring the last two days. Now that the season is over, I edited the Utah game um, barely. I didn't I didn't go as in depth into my edits as I usually do. I pretty much just kind of separated like the attack and the defense you know, set pieces and whatnot. Uh, and now I, I don't know what to do with myself. Like I'm, I'm going in this week to work like in the ticket sales office. Uh, but other than that though, like I've gotten so used to working at home and just constantly watching and like editing rugby and stuff like that. I just don't know what it's going to be like to have to go back into the office again consistently and like have to show my face. Like pe- people, people have forgotten that I've worked there, you know, to some degree, I just keep on getting the paycheck. So is it so so now that you have to to show your face, are you going to get more haircuts? Uh, I mean, definitely, I'll I'll, I'll keep shaving, but now nah, that this mop, it's uh two two haircuts a year. That's my rule. You're you're allowed to get a to to do a mullet, um, like a player, because yeah. you're 24. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, if uh. If, T- tell you what, if I end up playing sevens for the Lions this uh, this, this summer, yeah, I'll, I'll consider the mullet. I, I'm, like, never playing sevens again. Like, sorry, I'm too old. Well, I'm not – well, maybe. I don't know. I'm not as old as, as Corey is, but uh, – my, 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 slender, my slender frame and, and speed pretty much makes it so that everybody just assumes that I play sevens. I'm, uh, I'm just like, there was a reason why I started doing triathlon in the off season 
that's because if I was going to work, I'd, I'd rather do other work than sevens. And, you know, it, it got me hit by a car because I was cycling. Um, so there's that. Uh, yep, there's, there's no cars on the rugby pitch, Aaron. So I hope, I hope you learned your lesson about exercising. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, so yeah. all, all, all of the injuries I've ever had in my my gosh darn life have been from sports. And that that's what, you know, doing active stuff gets you injured. <laughs> Your couch that's why it's a mistake, guys. To you. So I suppose maybe I should tell everybody a little about the show before uh, we get too far into it, huh? Oh, why not? <laughs> For those of you new to the podcast, we do this each and every Monday night. Uh, we discuss news, rumors, and everything Major League Rugby, which is the United States Professional Rugby Union. It's a chance for us to look at the issues, hear from the league, players, and team leadership, and check in with our friends from across the U.S. rugby scene. Aaron, I know you kind of already gave us a preview of what's up tonight, so uh, <laughs> quickly, uh, yeah, just take us through what we got coming. Um, so the Sabercats finished 4-1 and one under Paul Emmerich. Uh, we'll talk about their two games that they had this week. They went 3-0 and three and in, in eight days, nine days maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Toronto is in, but so is New York. Uh, so that was an interesting result in which I will talk a lot of trash against Liam because I think he was wrong. Um, San Diego clinches the top seed. Uh, New Orleans goes home, but really, I mean, really good season for them overall. Uh, Seattle gets their home match, uh, defeating the Austin Elite by 12 points, but it really was not that close. And then uh, coaching changes wrap up, which we'll hit and sort of expound upon at the end of the show. All right. So, yeah, first up, we have the age of Emmerich uh, possibly coming to a close, possibly moving into a second season. We don't know. But right now, things are – I mean, the Sabercats finished out this season. Uh, you know, if there was one team that was getting my vote for Team of the Week this week, it was definitely the Sabercats just because of how well they finished and how they just did not give up this season. So hats off to the Sabercats. They beat Glendale um, in Houston, 32-17. to That was uh, the Wednesday night game. And then on Saturday, they played at Utah and won that one 31-27. So, heck yeah. Mm-hmm. Liam, let's do some celebrating, man. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, so winning streak. Thank you very much. Uh, so way to go to Paul Emmerich. I'm really happy that Paul was able to, uh, you know, get this three and one record going down the stretch. And like Aaron said, we uh, are four and one record down the stretch. And like Aaron said, we went three and oh in the span of like nine days. Uh, it was really hard on the guys, especially during training. Uh, the, we, we took some days off of training, just knowing that we were kind of at a point where we were we were either going to execute properly or we weren't. We had all, we had, we had kind of gained all like the physical prowess that we were going to get. It was all about class and work at that point. So heading into the final game with Utah, there was des- there was definitely a lot more rest in, in the week uh, leading up to it, but you know, just as much mental reps as you would expect for any other game. So in terms of the actual play on the field, first half, uh, I thought the Cats did really well offensively. They were moving the ball pretty good. They got it, they, you know, they were able to get it out to their playmakers, especially Malachi Esdale uh, and Joshua Beatty, who each had a great game. I'll get to that a little bit more later. Um, but I was most impressed with the performance in the set piece. And again, I'll say about that more about that in a second. Uh, 
Speaking of second, the Warriors made this a goddamn game in the second half, and it was mainly through ball retention. They definitely they cut down on penalties, uh, and they and they've learned that they weren't they shouldn't be so eager to go to the lineout because Houston was up op- was operating really well in that facet. So instead, they kind of played they played they played the kick uh, they played the quick ball. They tried to get it out to their playmakers, you know, like Bonnie Colo, who is just a line break threat every time he touches the ball. Uh, only the only only thing is though they let up way too many points in the first half. So all of that progress they made in the second, it just wasn't enough when Houston was able to get that final try by a Sam Windsor uh, by via Sam Windsor. Whoa, whoa, whoa! There's whoa. one reason why they lost this game. Okay, just, mm-hmm. just say it so I can say it later. But the. Say, say what? Because, what the Drake curse was Drake somewhere at Zion's Bank Stadium that I oh, wasn't man. aware of? Oh, I guess I'll get to that on my piece. Continue. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of reasons why I think they lost that I can't say on the air. Um, if you want to take a closer look though at what prevented uh, Utah from finishing on a high note, I'm sure Aaron has you know some other takes on that. Uh, they only had an 85% mock in the lineouts and 40%. In the scrum. Mock. Mock Wahlberg? Oh. <laughs> so 40% mark in the scrum. Uh, even going up against a powerhouse forward, uh, you know, forward pack like Houston, that's that's a pretty bad freaking uh, pretty bad metric. I don't want to say the word mark anymore. Uh, <laughs> what's not terrible? Uh, Houston only committed a total of six penalties on their day. Uh, the second fewest in the game all season for them. Uh, it really goes to show that even when the Sabercats don't have that, you know, explosive a night, uh, explosive of a night offensively, they can still get stuff done as long as they're not getting in their own way and making some dumb mistakes. Uh, and of course, operating this, operating in the scrum, giving themselves a chance to, you know, run some paddle work in the starter play. Uh, dude, I, whoever whoever messed with my script, I almost read that out loud, and you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. things almost got full uh, anchor man here (laughs) so just to give people a little clarification at home usually i i'm reading from a script more or less and uh aaron tried to get me to well you put it in mine so yeah it's an it's something i'll cover yeah yeah Um, try to get through this game now. In terms of production, Houston just barely outgained Utah on the ground, 600 meters to 548. Malachi Esdale, as I mentioned before, he led the Sabercats with 106 total meters in a try, while Viney Colo for the Utah Warriors led them with 91. Uh, overall, I love the way the Cats finished out the season. We ended up looking like the team that we should have been all along, which is a squad that wins on physicality, ball control, and splat in splash plays out of the set piece. Uh, you know, and set piece is definitely where I, I thought we, we showed the most improvement. We've always been good in the scrum, but uh, once we really started to get aggressive in the lineout uh, towards the latter half of the season, teams realized that they kind of had to keep it, keep the ball in hand and rather than trying to beat us, you know, I, you know, out of, out of these platforms where they were be able to run track on us. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm really proud of the way the Sabercats finished out this season and Big ups to Paul Emberg and big ups to Matt Truville with the behind the back pass to end the damn career. Uh, yeah, big ups to the skipper. Um, yeah, Truville definitely tried to be like Doug Flutie and kick, uh, you know, a conversion. And, uh, well, he shanked it. Uh, so 
there's that. Uh, I, thought uh, all, I thought all Australians could kick. Like, well, supposedly, I mean, he has kicked in test matches before because it, apparently it needed he needed to do it one time. So he was. They're like, okay, we know you can kick, man. And then it was, it was, it was Adley. I someone should put the video of that on his like little, you know, those like electronic photo frames that have shit like photos passed through. Well, that video should like come up every like 10th photo or something. It would be, it would be rather funny if someone pranked that in, but uh, <laughs> it's funny. So when I was editing the game, um, I clipped out the behind the back pass that, you know, and I, and I made like a gif out of it and put it up on like the team's uh, like, you know, website for viewing footage. But uh, what, what people might not remember is that, like, af after that pass, Matt kind of, like, fell towards the camera, like, comically. Like, both of his hands up going, oh! And, like, w when, when you gif it, like, when, when it makes when, when you make it repeat, it's just the most hilarious thing ever. It makes him seem like a klutz. And uh, Matt Treville is not a klutz. <laughs> so, um, you know, getting into this game... Uh, well, I guess we'll take a step back and talk about Glendale. So Glendale, it came out, it started out really physical. I kind of thought it was going to be a game. And about 10 minutes in, they just fell apart. Uh, they, they put up a lot of meters as they normally do. The turnover rate was insipidous. It was rather disgusting. Um, and it just destroyed what they were going to do. Um, so perhaps, you know, that's one of the many reasons why they made a coaching change. Uh, I really thought that may have been an interesting game, but it was really a track meet that was one-sided because of the handling errors and turnovers by the Raptors that has plagued their season. Um, moving on to the Glen, uh, onto the Utah game. Uh, you know, when I think about when I think about it, it comes down to discipline. Uh, they were truly in this game until Arawa Elkington allowed a cheap and cheeky move by Connor Murphy to get to him. Uh, you know, Scott Green blew a penalty. And Connor, instead of leaving the ball behind like a like a good person, decided to kill some clock and take the ball away with him because the Utah Warriors were definitely going to do a quick tap and go. And well, that that didn't allow him to do it. Uh, and you know, they got into a little bit of a scuffle. Um, you know, yellow card. Perfectly got it, but I, I definitely don't think that uh, the Sabercats should have been rewarded with the possession um, because, you know, the, I guess the there was still a response, um, if that makes sense, uh, from the Sabercats to, so, that, to that foul play. So, however, uh, that sort of spelled the end because they lost Elkington and then they really didn't have much. Like, that just deflated them which shows you that they don't have those response systems to deal with that when they're, you know, have a shot. And what does that mean? Um, well, it means that uh, Sabercats can play, have some cheeky moves because every scrum half does that. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, I, I was going to say, I'm not, I'm not saying that Connor is the only person to ever do that in major league rugby. I'm pretty sure I see that happen at least twice a game by every single side when a, penalty has been blown the difference here is that a yellow card was awarded because someone decided to get into a scuffle um but uh you know like i said yellow card don't even care like that was the right call but i, I don't think that the sabercats should have been awarded the possession for impeding the penalty the flow of play that's my opinion i don't think that would actually be correct with the laws but that's just me um 
basically Utah in the second half of the season fully improved playing tough, but still not able to complete the task at hand, whether it's because their fitness falls off or their discipline falls off. Uh, mostly played away to the strengths of the Sabercats, which they knew they needed to do, which is what they did against the Seawolves and got that draw. Kind of weird match for the Sabercats. No try scored by a forward. Um, showcased how dynamic their backs are rather than how powerful the pack was, even though the pack was definitely still powerful when it came to the set piece. Uh, and something different and something we really haven't gotten to see all season just because of the way the play has shifted and putting players in position to uh, take over at times. Uh, you saw this really with Esdale, with uh, Mike Sell. Like it was, it was really fun. Uh, turnovers, and this is probably why you're just screwed uh, with uh, towards the end of the season because teams just start tightening up and they play either more disciplined or they're far and away just the best team and they can deal with it. Uh, turnovers, pretty even 14 to 15, where it got stupid was uh, tw- infringements was 12 to 6. So we've t- sort of talked about this. Unless you're San Diego, you really can't deal with you know having more than four or five infringements higher than uh the the team you're playing and if you uh <laughs> if you double your your total infringements so penalty plus one conceded free kick uh was 11 penalties and one conceded free kick by uh the warriors uh, it it just deflates whatever you're trying to do and it, it stopped their ability to to get any traction, especially even before uh, Elkington got that yellow card, but definitely afterwards. There you go. All right. (laughs) So uh, next up we had, uh, well, kind of in between the two games there, we had uh, Toronto hosting uh, Rooney up in Toronto. And uh, well, guess what? <laughs> both both teams are heading to the playoffs. That's uh, they're different seeds. They are not playing each other, but they are uh, up against two two East Coast teams versus two West Coast teams. So it's kind of an interesting setup there. So I uh, digress. Point being, uh, Toronto beat Rooney twenty to twenty twenty two to twenty, and let's talk about that. Aaron, lead us off. So uh, New York did enough to get themselves in, although uh, just uh, to let everyone know, they actually didn't need to do anything in this one uh, because they didn't know that really. Uh, So they got the, they got a losing bonus point, um, losing under seven. Good for them. Uh, And they almost really, they they had a chance to be a little bit dominant, but Toronto sort of figured it out. Uh, I was surprised at first with how dominant they were in, uh, you know, in the attacking set piece, their scrum uh, before the arrows figured out what they, that they just needed to start playing rugby because they were not playing good rugby for the first like 10 minutes of this game. Uh, When it comes to this, this whole thing, it, it was really a team effort. It was, it wasn't, there was, oh man, like there were some great individual players out there for Toronto that just ratcheted up for this team. Uh, when it comes to defense and what New York was actually able to do against this Toronto team, like scrum halves don't usually tackle a lot uh, outside of what we've seen from Nate Augsburg this year. Uh, well, Mike Petrie had 15 tackles. So he got after it. 
um, what do you, uh, you know, Leandro Labas, uh, Dan Moore, uh, Gaston Mieres, uh, Mike Shepard did his thing. Rob Brewer did his thing. Uh, the, a good guy to highlight who really hasn't gotten too many opportunities this year uh, was Luke Campbell at number eight. 18 carries for 100 and I think eight meters. Oh my. Like he had a great game for them and definitely was a key part of that attack as they tried to get in, uh, you know, in points, parts of the field that allowed them to score. Uh, Sam Malcolm, fly half for the Toronto Arrows. Uh, kind of a smaller fly half, about five, six, five, seven. From one, of the few, one of the few non-Canadians on the team, too. Yeah, he's from New Zealand. New Zealand. Um, he's, he's a damn killer. Um, he called his shot, just like Babe Ruth. Uh, you know, I always have these baseball-isms. But, uh, and he was, they had, they were playing, they had penalty advantage. So if he had missed the kick, it would have gone back to them. And they probably would have kicked for a line out and definitely mauled in, maybe possibly mauled in for a try. Uh, and so they were in position. They were about t- where he called it. He was about like 10, 15 meters out. Uh, I don't, I want to know how they, how they set it. And he just at an angle, he slotted it and they go up. It, it was 19 to 20 at that moment. And they go up 22 to 20 on uh, the New York side, and then they they win their restart, and they basically just run it out uh, very conservatively, pod on pod, and, you know, sometimes that's a bad idea, but it was enough time to where uh, they didn't have to really gain much many meters, and, and you know, they, they kicked it out, and they won, uh, and got themselves the, the third seed. Looking up front, uh, Toronto's set piece was solid, New York's less so, especially with uh, in the lineout. But you really, you can't give up a single scrum or lineout against Toronto, or they will like beat you up. And New York conceded some scrums, and they definitely conceded some lineouts. And their lineouts were also like really messed up throughout this one. Uh, penalties to turnovers. I always like to look at this, as, as you saw earlier uh, tonight. Uh, you know, for uh, Toronto in Toronto's favor, seven to ten, um, eleven to fourteen, uh, seven to ten in penalties and eleven to fourteen in turnovers. So they held onto the ball and they were more disciplined. And I think of the playoff teams, Toronto is the most disciplined team in the league this year, which is really uh, different from last season. You had basically the most penalized teams in the league making to the playoffs, but I think. Uh, you know, everyone's sort of middling except for San Diego. Like even Seattle has really cleaned up their penalty count this year. Mm -hmm. So uh, as much as it pains me to say this, I just want to say thank God New York got in and not NOLA. Uh, Look at that man. Yeah, okay. So, and I know I can almost hear Adrian echoing your sentiment right now however it would have bothered me so much to have a team with more wins miss out on the postseason while a team that barely scraped 10 wins together and fell off in the latter half actually made it so i'm, I'm glad in that respect but you know and, and of course there's there's the rutland vermont boy and trevor cassidy and uh and nate Brakeley from marblehead uh on the team so 
I'm definitely glad that the, that the New England guys are heading towards the championship series. That being said, I'll admit I was not a believer in Toronto's ability to make the playoffs this season. I thought I thought earlier this season uh, they had way too many too many issues on defense and not enough explosion on offense. But once they got that eight eight home game stretch going for them, things started kind of clicking. And while they may not have been the most entertaining team in MLR and they're Canadian. What do you expect? I mean, Alan Thicke is a celebrity over there. They were definitely an efficient team. Uh, and, you know, as Aaron said, they were, they were one of those teams that they can make you pay for mistakes. If you were being undisciplined and if you were constantly giving them opportunities at possessions and starter plays, that's when they really started to rack up the points and really control possession. And that's how they beat teams. In the head-to-head for this game, Toronto came out on top with a 56% uh, of total possession to go along with a 51% mark in territory, all that while racking up a pretty respectable 5.2 meters per pass. Meanwhile, New York, uh, lucky enough to secure that losing bonus point thanks to the two-point margin in the final score, uh, on the day they managed a pretty good 6 meters per pass and a quick ball rate of 66%, which is something I think they should continue in terms of, of how quickly they get, the, they get the ball out of the breakdown, especially when you have strikers like Cahill Marsh and Connor Wallace-Sims on the outside who could absolutely turn on the burners and, uh, and really punish teams if you can get that ball out to them quickly enough and beat the defensive ships. However, some numbers they need to improve upon before heading into the playoffs is within the set piece where they managed only a 67% win rate in the line out and a pretty good 90% mark in the scrum. However, that's definitely going to need to shore up before they uh, he- before they play a team like Seattle, San Diego, or, or San Diego. Uh, New York needs to get better on offense. They have a defense that can work you to death. Uh, there's not a whole lot to there's not a whole lot of push to go with a shove, if if you know what I'm saying. Uh, you know, if it, it's kind of like Nola, where Nola can rack up points on a team, they could score 30, 40 points in a game but they were allowing 40, 50 points in the game in the games that they lost. So, you know, like I said, not, not, not a whole lot of push to go with that shove. Toronto, uh, like I said, pretty well-balanced team, and I think they're going to be, I think they're going to be competitive in this championship series. But outside of, outside of like Dan Moore and Labias, I'm not really seeing a whole lot of explosion on this team that can, that, that can overcome a team like Seattle or San Diego with, with the players that they have. So Toronto, they'll be competitive, but I don't see them hosting the uh, hoisting the shield anytime soon this year in 2019. I, I think the uh, and you may or may not agree with me on this. I think Toronto and New York are very similar in that they're very lunch pail type guy type teams. Uh, you know, it's about everyone getting a lot of work in especially up front in the forwards, uh, whether it's Rob Brewer or Morgan Mitchell or from their locks uh, with the likes of Mike Shepard, similar to how Nate Brakely and, uh, you know, Matt Houston and the butcher himself, Dylan Fawcett, go to work. It's about, you know, getting uh, hard meters. And I wouldn't say they, they've played nearly as conservative uh, of a game plan as New York has at times. Uh, but uh, it's very, it's very lunch paley, you know. If that if that makes any sense to anyone, lunch lunch paley. I mean, I I did once compare Toronto's logo to the logo of a summer camp. So <laughs> I, I, I used to bring a lunch pail to summer camp. So yeah, I, I, I see it. <laughs> so I'm still saying that, by the way, that Toronto, you guys should have kept the the whole Ontario logos get up uh, this. 
you guys have the most bland vanilla uniforms. Bring back the gold actually, in that no, uniform. There actually, you know what? That's that's pretty in, on par with Canadian entertainment. So actually, no, yeah, by all means. Cool. I, I you know, I, I like their, their color scheme. I just wish they kept that gold. I like the shift to the blue they're they're using, but uh, I like it's, that. <sighs> See, I like I really liked the old arrows symbol because it made me think of Star Trek, and Star Trek makes me happy. <laughs> uh, you know what doesn't make me happy when I are you up? are you ready for the Picard movie? Uh, I I am re- I am cautiously optimistic because Patrick Stewart is effing amazing at basically everything he does. But a bad script can also ruin a character. So who knows? Game of Thrones. <laughs> exactly. Star Wars. Yeah. And the people. I will, I will defend TLJ to the de- freaking death of me. And I swear to God, I'll come through this screen. <laughs> <laughs> that one sucked too. All right. So back to uh, <laughs> rugby. Uh, we also had San Diego facing off against NOLA. And this one was the, uh, this was the repeat. And uh, this, well, this one pretty much wrapped up NOLA's fall from grace, I guess. Uh, San Diego won 22 to 10 at home. Liam, I think you're going to lead us off on this one. Sad yeah. trumpet sounds. Oh, God, looking at the script right now, I wrote a bunch of stuff on this game. All right, let's get to it. Well, watching this game, I kept on thinking that Nola was going to finally put it together, like either in the next phase or in the next possession, in the next 10 minutes, but it was not their month, it was not their week or even their year. But uh, it, it, it just never happened. Something about their play to me, just it seems kind of stiff, I guess you could say. And the guys you come to expect to be, be to be their playmakers, like Tristan Blewett and J.P. Eloff, I felt like they disappeared for whole stretches of this game, and you just didn't see them at all. So, yeah. Uh, disappointing, um, you know, it, it's, considering, it's disappointing considering that uh, the NOLA scrum in this game was better than it had been all season. And I felt like if they had been able to execute properly out of their starter platforms, they could have actually uh, they could have actually got a little bit more production out of their backs uh, because there were some very rare instances of poor defense from the Legion in this game. However, Nola just ultimately wasn't able to make them pay for pretty much any of them. In the head-to-head, Nola dominated in possession, forcing a 60% mark in that area to go along with a 53% mark in territory. Uh, you know, looking a little bit closer, because I was like, how the hell did they score so so little points then, especially an offensively-minded team keeping possession for as much as they did? Uh, they racked up a thousand me- over 1,000 meters on the ground, uh, but looking a little closer, 210 passes it took to get there. And so at the end of the day, they only managed uh, an average uh, meters per pass and MPP of about 4.7. Meanwhile, bear, with, bear with me. You know what bear- kind of game that was? What? That was a Glendale game. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I was actually thinking the same thing is that, you know, you see a lot of passes, you see a lot of splash plays and stuff like that, but a lot of their work in the middle, um, you know, between the 22s was very lateral, flat, I, gu- I guess you could say. Like, not not in terms of flat passing, but just, you know, getting a, a foot beyond the gain line and stuff like that. That's that's one, that's how you that's how you wear your guys down. And two, that's how you just open yourself up for mistakes because the higher and higher volume of passes you have, 
the more it's, it's just simple math, the more likely of, of a chance you're going to make, uh, you know, a, a turnover mistake. Uh, when, so, uh, so uh, on more about the Legion, when you talk about them, you have to talk about defense. Um, actually, before I talk about the Legion's defense, I want to talk a little bit more about their offense because it would be remiss of me to uh, forget about that. You need to applaud their fish, their efficiency. Uh, so only 501 total yards on the attack, but less than 100 passes all game. I think it was only about 91. That gave them a final MPP rating of about five and a half uh, meters per pass. And uh, only one line break for them all day while Nola had six. So, you know, when I when I say efficiency, everybody was getting involved and everybody was, you know, was putting up production. While it might not have been flashy, it definitely got stuff done. Now to talk about that Legion defense, though, uh, and what the defense did in this game is they forced not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six breakdown steals. And uh, Mr. J.P. Duplessis had two of them. Uh, I mean, two is not that significant of a number, but when it comes to something like this, yeah, the dude was all over the field, both offensively and defensively. And he's a huge reason why San Diego was as, as, as successful in this game as they were. Uh, basically, it, it just seemed to me like Nola, you know, for, during every one of those breakdown steals, there it was like, you know, the pill was like that pie on the window and all the little rascals shorts, and San Diego was just was just spanky, taking the pie. Um, <laughs> the scene, the scene out of uh, JP Duplessis uh, spanky, uh, Men of like, Honor. Ah, stole pie. Ah, stole pie. Ah, stole pie. Wait, actually, hold on a second. Who would be Spanky on the Legion? Would it, would it be JP or would it be uh, Patty? Spanky? Oh, that's Patty Ryan. For yeah. sure. Definitely, For then, sure. Then, then JP can be Alfalfa or something like that. Still oh. a main character. <laughs> no, Al, you know who Alfalfa is? Who? Nate Augsburger. <laughs> this, oh, it's like that tall, gangly guy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I well, got you. Yeah, so... <laughs> Um, overall, just to say, Nola, they impressed everybody, you know, to open up the, to open up the season. They had one of the most entertaining attacks, uh, but the amount of fall off in the latter half just means they have a whole lot of work to do. Luckily, I think coach Osborne is pretty well suited to get that work done and make the improvements necessary. So best of luck to coach Osborne and the Nola gold in 2020. Weird game at first, uh, New Orleans had a hard practice. Uh, week uh, and it showed and by it showed I mean they came out and they were they threw punch to punch uh, strength to strength against uh, the San Diego uh, defense uh, you know uh, they 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 scrummed really well in fact holy hell uh, something that made no sense whatsoever is they chose a scrum and unlike San Diego they were a hundred percent on their scrum so shout out to Ed Cosner uh, type five strength uh, for uh, you know, putting that all that extra scrummaging and strength work together to to build that team, uh, and also to Alex Corbazero, who has been doing some scrum coaching with New Orleans Gold the last couple of weeks to build, uh, you know, and and skill upskill them very rapidly. Which I mean, you what Matt Harmon did, and, and this is gonna you're gonna someone's gonna say to me, well, Patty Ryan, blah blah, because Matt Harmon, uh, well. How Matt Harmon did not having a lot of starts at loose head against Patty Ryan 
you know, really sort of, I wouldn't say Matt's really raw, but a really young loose head against the best tight head in the league was impressive. Uh, the fact that they, you know, forced San Diego to concede scrums, uh, it, it was it was weird um, and good for them. Uh, hopefully that continues. In the aerial game, New Orleans really screwed up the set piece for the Legion. Uh, they The Legion only had 83% of their lineouts, and they were just screwed up, and their calls were, were getting wrong and, you know, throwing the ball too long. And, you know, things like Tristan Blewett would come in and grab the ball, and they'd go do things. And, you know, I, although Liam points out that, you know, the playmakers, you, you may have thought that they sort of disappeared for long stretches. It wasn't that they disappeared for long stretches. It was that... They didn't those have guys, possession for long stretches. It was yeah, they didn't have possession for long stretches, but it was that those guys, like that was it. Like blew it, JP Eloff. Uh, let me look at this again. Um, Tr- Tristan was definitely feisty at certain points. Uh, Colin, so like Colin Foley, Nick Feeks, uh, JP Eloff, and Tristan Blue were kind of it. Uh, also, Nick Bursick. He had a great game, really. Uh, he also kept it interesting, being in the right position, uh, sort of cutting up uh, through, uh, you know, that San Diego defense to where he could score that try off of, a, um, I think it was Ignacio Dotti try assist. Uh, really good, good to see him play. Like his and his beer game is good. I tell you <laughs> what, uh, but outside of those guys, and yes, that that is a lot of meters made. Uh, just Feeks, Foley, Blewett, and J.P. Eloff, I think, together is uh, just short. No, it's it's over 500 meters made. So that, like those guys, had great games in a vacuum. But, you know, they had line breaks. You, you talked about, like, here's the difference between line breaks. So what did, what did San Diego get on their line break? They're one line break. They, they got to try. Uh, Josh Furno, um, you know, people are going to be complaining uh, about these uh, new signings by the San Diego Legion being in the last game, but uh, quit your whinging. Um, Furno was signed. Both, both Tamalau did not play. Uh, there's a reason but that it has nothing to do with his contract not being approved by the league in time because there was a competition deadline that was a month ago. So that means like pretty much anyone could have, uh, you know, signed someone up to, so it's week 19. So week 15 was when the competition committee instituted that deadline. Will it shift for next year? It's, it's very likely that it will shift further, further forward into the season rather than being so late. But Ferno, his contract was signed a while ago. Like the visa process for most of our P1As in this league has taken Four to six months. Uh, Joe Peterson was signed last year. He was signed, I think he was like, he signed a contract in November and his visa wasn't approved until July, was it? Or end of June, something like that. Um, And so we only played. And and, and there there was a problem with an MLR visa. You've got to be kidding me. Oh my, oh my, you know. (laughs) So. Yeah, like, so Furno's contract was signed a long time ago. The difference is, is unlike a few of the foreign players who were denied uh, by uh, 
Department of Homeland Security and Immigration National whatever services uh, is that he was an international player for Italy, so his P1A just was going to take time hitting wickets. Uh, but man, Ferno, him and Josevera Malua together, they were like running in support of each other the whole game. That line break where he just burst through, and that is a big dude. Like he, like woof, like the, the I forget who tackled him there when he offloaded to Vera Malua, but that must have hurt uh, the person who tackled him much more than it hurt him because like his his leg is like the size of like as like wide as my chest, which is huge. Like he got tre- he got redwoods for legs. Um, <laughs> got redwoods, boy. Uh, transition defense really for uh, New Orleans was pretty poor. Uh, the guys, like you know, we talked about the guys who kept them in this. Uh, you know, JP Duplessis for uh, on defense, Joseph Malua on defense, but really to talk about JP, it was like I think at like three meters out from the goal line, JP like at the at the breakdown, JP just or er, makes this try saving tackle that leads to a change in possession. I don't think he got. Uh, he picked up the ball. Someone else picked up the ball there, but that was, that was, you, you want to see some fireworks. That was some fireworks. Um, talking about, uh, you know, turnovers. Uh, why was this match even close? I, I guess uh, is the Legion. Um, they led, they let it in turnovers and infringements. So there you go. And they are officially the most penalized team in the league. And I don't think that's going to change the next two weeks. And I don't think it's going to matter for, for them really that much. Uh, you, know, you know, Liam mentioned, uh, you know, props to uh, New Orleans. You know, Ryan Fitzgerald and Nate Osborne are building something there as a general manager and coaching team. They're the only team, like, you know, the Sabercats did win six games, but – the way they won their six games compared to, you know, like Nola fell off, but of of the teams that had the most turnover in the league, they were the only one in in playoff position. Like they had a lot of freaking turnover, and at the end of the day, they won nine games and they were in uh, you know position at one point. They they were in pole position for like five weeks in the league, so that really shows you the improvement of what that roster has done. They do have some things to improve. They got to bring in some more big uh, second rows and they got to improve their scrummaging, which I think they will definitely do because we definitely saw them really improve their scrummaging against, you know, two of the better scrum. Well, I don't know about New York. They're they're, they're playing funny. Um, But against San Diego, they, they out scrummed San Diego, which is saying something. So, uh, they're going to have a chance uh, this offseason to bring in some more guys, and, and they will build uh, something, and they will probably contend for the playoffs. I think next year for them is going to be very competitive and very fun, uh, especially since they definitely have the best tailgate in the league. So probably need to get down there for some gumbo. Yeah. Mm, gumbo. Now, have either of you guys heard from our uh, Reddit guy on um... – the plane ticket he bought to the New Orleans championship game. Did he get a refund on that? Or I, I, I think he's currently like 
he's he's tying a string around his arm. He's taking a knife. He's just carving off that tattoo right now. It it it's, it doesn't look nice. It's bloody. It's messy. But that thing's got to go. I, 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 well, Before I think, anybody sees. Well, that guy's a doctor, so I think he's uh, he's I think he's a PhD, not an MD. Okay, so, so. He, he's he's using some anesthetic. Oh man, you know, taking off because he doesn't Jesus. want anybody. <laughs> what a what a fall. So the last game of the weekend uh was Austin traveling up to Seattle. And uh I'll tell you this one, I mean, it wasn't close, but it was closer than I think I thought it was gonna be. So good on Austin for at least putting some points on the board. Uh the final score was 38-26 Seattle. Uh Aaron, lead us off on this one. So <laughs> Put that back on, you know, Seawolves, right? Props, or props is due. They won a game this week, so do I really need to talk about this? All right. Um, so Austin, they, they did what Austin do, which is make everyone play like crap. They live up to that city motto. They keep it weird. They play good defense, key moments, and they do athletic things to score. Uh, this time it, it was really all in the back end, so they, they validated their time. We, we used to say in the Army, you know, are, are we validating our time right now? And when it came to, like, staying later uh, in the day, and sometimes you had to validate your time, and that's really what some of those scores were. Uh, you know, first 10 minutes, they played very hard, and they made it very weird. They scored first, and then, uh, you know, uh, Seattle put the screws in. They took the drill, and they, uh, they drilled in the screws, and it was kind of over. Uh, the king is back. Jeff Hassler, um, he carved it up, and whew, whew, Jeff Hassler had a great game for them uh, with, uh, what was it, 124 meters. Uh, Roland Sunula had a very good game uh, versus his retiring brother, who uh, you know really did not have that good of a game. Um, I wanted him to get a try so freaking bad. So... Uh, yeah, with some some changes, JP Smith uh, begrudgingly moved to uh, fly half. He he has told me and Dan Power that he hates playing fly half. He just can't can play fly half at a high level, so he gets stuck there sometimes. And that's what happened uh, as Ben Sima had to slot to fullback with Matt Turner uh, being declared out. Uh, but it really gives you an interesting dynamic between Phil and JP Smith, sort of like a two fly hat to two nines on the pitch uh, if you need them. But uh, Brad Tucker, I think that's uh, the only thing I need to talk about this game. He set the tone at 21 tackles. He destroyed Austin ball carriers. Just 100. Oh, well, it was 21 tackles. 100% tackle rate. Yep, and hundred percent tackle race. Like let's not like that. Let's not get that confused. Like so, all attempted tackles. Like it, it's not even just that. Like oh, my team's on defense. We must be bad. Like any ta- tackles that he attempted, he freaking followed through and completed them. So that's why that's the metric you always got to look at defensively. So it, it is like that is that was wild uh, to see from Brad Tucker. But then on attack, he just he just ate. 
I wanted him to get a hat trick, man. <laughs> when he got that second try, I was like, you guys just need to feed Tucker. Just get, get Tucker in a position to where he can get three tries. 14 carries, 108 meters, a line break, and an offload. Uh, they, they better pay him because he's playing in Europe next year. It's got to happen. Like, I have, like, like, he has been one of the most consistent and versatile and physical players in Major League Rugby. Uh, and he is a, a key component of why they are back in the championship series. Uh, what else? Um, yeah. Uh, so Austin, when you're in your fifth scrum half and your fourth fly half, you're just, it, it's not going to be good. That's about mm-hmm. what I got to say. Uh, you know, they, they still had some spirit like they've sort of had all year. They, they've never really been broken, but they've never been, really been good enough as a collection as a group of players to get a win and, and we saw that again nice nice so um kind of like aaron said uh, i don't want to spend too much time on this game we all kind of knew which way the wind was going to be blowing uh the scoreline i thought it was pretty funny uh, the final scoreline at least because it kind of truly embodies the idea of the score doesn't tell the whole story uh austin got the crap kicked out of him but it's like it's like if it's it's like if Austin got their wallet stolen, Austin like you know picked themselves up off the ground and was like, "Oh look, I found a nickel on the ground. My luck isn't so bad." Because all, all, all the points they scored was just freaking garbage time. Anyway, kid, uh, Austin seemed pretty disinterested to me uh, through through a lot of the second half. Poor tackling, slow transitions. It's no wonder that Seattle's pattern work looked pretty flawless. Uh, flawless, uh, you know, especially in the in in the latter half of the first half and throughout most of the second half. Uh, in the head-to-head, some pretty surprising numbers, um, but when you think about the whole garbage time thing, not too surprising. Austin outgained Seattle by over 150 meters, going over a thousand on the day, and they controlled 58 percent of total possession in the game, along with I think something like 53 percent uh, in the territory mark. Um, somewhere. But somewhere in those lying numbers, you will find the truth, and the truth will set you free. Seattle, while being ultimately outgame, the, they managed a pretty decent 6.5 meters per pass and a 92% tackle rate and only two penalties uh, you know, total in their red zone. Uh, so Seattle, they, they got it done where it counted, and they put up points. All right? That's that's all that matters. You you can you can gain all the meters you, can, uh, you want. You can operate in the set piece, you know, fantastically if you can't punch it over the line you ain't gonna win shit uh so yeah that's that's what i got to say about that camp um i guess we'll, we'll talk about some some free jacks uh playing yeah, lands yeah. down in the from the ail uh contender uh, yeah they did in the all ireland league uh they you know i i it wasn't lansdowne's Best team because they didn't send everybody over. It was more of a touring side, but still, I, I think this is a good, a good win because you know maybe, what maybe if the uh, the entire Lansdowne team wasn't hung over as shit. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, let's just it, they, they they're on a tour, and you know they're on a rugby tour, so I yeah. Yeah, they, uh, and, they also went on a, a freaking tour of Haymarket. Like, <laughs> 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 uh, 
tours or not, I think any win is a good win. So shout out to Free Jacks for taking down Lansdale, forty six to twenty nine right, this was weekend. So for taking down who? Lansdale. 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 Yeah, you talking about Tom Brady right now? Talking about the yeah. Clydesdale? <laughs> yep, I got. Uh, I'm a little drunk myself. No. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm not allowed to. Neither are you. <laughs> Free Jacks won their game against somebody. I have no idea who. Uh, Forty-six to twenty-nine. Yeah. Uh, also, this weekend was Old Glory DC playing against uh, the USA Rugby South Panthers. And they won as well, twenty-eight to seven. So I don't know, uh, Aaron, Liam. One of you guys want to talk a little bit about these matches? Um, I, well, I mean, didn't watch too much of either. Uh, Old Glory over USA South. I think that's a decent win uh, for them as they build towards next year. Uh, I mean, they're going to play Lansdowne this week, and maybe Lansdowne um, has their tour of the Boz after the game. And we'll see how they do. Uh, South USA South had two uh, NOLA goal players uh, on it. Uh, former junior All-American uh, William Wagespack at lock and Rob Depperschmidt uh, for um, who is, a, I guess, an academy, NOLA Gold Academy graduate. He has been promoted to the senior squad. Uh, but was made available for the South Panthers, which you saw last year with a bunch of gold players playing with South uh, during the Rugby America's North Championships, which you may see again um, this year because uh, they're all about development. Uh, yeah, so I was able to watch uh, the entirety of the Free Jacks game because I'm obsessed with Boston sports. Uh, but anyway, I um, I thought it was a really uh, really physical game, you know, especially in the first half. Uh, the Free Jacks, they're going to be a very physically imposing team uh, just overall, especially in MLR 2020. They have the the, uh, the pieces, um, you know, to do that, and they have a coach in Josh Smith who that's the kind of rugby that he, he likes to play. Um, their defense, the, I th- they made it a point to kind of come up fast on each phase, which is something that you definitely want to see. They all came up together. Unfortunately, that kind of hurt them in a few instances, especially in the first half. They would come up a little bit too quickly. They would leave way too big of gaps on the outside. And, uh, you know, Lansdowne, they had the line speed in the first half to really beat them out, uh, to, to beat them out there. Uh, obviously, Lansdowne, they tired pretty quickly from their long flight and their festivities the night before. Uh, so in the, in the second half, their transitions weren't, weren't that fast. Uh, they were starting to slow down, uh, just, you know, getting up from the tackle and they weren't contesting in the breakdown at all. It was kind of more of just like that tired, you know, I'll put my shoulder to you to show that I'm rucking, but I'm not actually rucking that, that, uh, you know, saw a lot of that in the second half. So the Jacks were kind of able to work some pattern work, get, get everybody involved, and that's kind of why the score was the way it was. Uh, people's a highlight from this game. Hear these names now. Remember them. Um, write them down. Because MLR 2020, they're going to be lighting it up. Danny Collins and Christian Adams. Uh, Danny Collins, usually out of the fullback. I believe he was at the 11 or 12 position. I think he was at the 11 position today uh, or, or over the weekend. And he absolutely tore it up. When he gets to the outside, he's a very physical runner, but he's also very fast. And he's going to make you commit more than one person to tackling him. Same thing with Christian Adams. He's just a big dude. Uh, and 
you know, and, and he's one again. He's one of those guys that you're going to have to commit more than one person to tackling him, and he uh, he can work not just on the outside, but he can also work as a forward and be pretty effective. Uh, you know, in, in that regard, uh, good luck beating this scrum overall in MLR 2020. I I, I don't think you know. Obviously, there's going to be the growing pains, but I think you're wishing upon a star right now, dude. I'm, 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 you're wishing upon a star. And the Bruins fucking lost. Okay. Um, yeah, no, not wishing upon a star. This this team is absolutely built. There's going to be more uh, signings coming uh, later this offseason out of Ireland and out of other clubs in Europe. Uh, make sure to check back to Earful of Dirt for that uh, for that news. And yeah, no. And Josh Smith is is one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in the uh, in the country. So, and I will die on that goddamn hill. All right. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. And uh, Liam, if you pass away from making these claims, we'll miss you. (laughs) So I'd like to spend a couple minutes, guys, and kind of look at as we head into postseason and in between seasons, uh, coaching changes. Uh, What we know right now, of course, at the end of the season is a good time to hand out those pink slips. And I know we've had some changes already. Uh, of course, led off by uh, Houston, um, uh, Justin Fitzpatrick leaving Houston. Um, then this week, we also heard that uh, Thierry Dupin uh, is out as CEO of Austin Elite, and Todd Clever is in as um, rugby director of rugby. Right. Director of Rugby, thank you. And then up at Glendale, and this one I think came as kind of a surprise today, uh, Coach Dave Williams uh, has left the building. So, and who knows what's coming next? We might hear about some more before everything's done and said. Um, any thoughts on on this so far? What do you think? It's our so- first ever MLR coaching carousel, and I'm so excited. <laughs> so... You know, Sabercats, you guys were first. You provided cover to everyone else. Let's, so just, you know, somebody had to go first. Whoever ever goes whoever goes first next year is going to provide cover to the next, like, three guys who get fired uh, or quit or, or whatever. Um, so first one uh, happened last week. Uh, Thierry Dupont uh, resigned, was asked to leave um, as general manager and CEO of Austin Elite Rugby, as far as I understand, he still uh, retains his equity in the company, but uh, they they needed a change. Uh, also, the entire coaching staff was let go in the middle of the week, so there's that. Uh, Todd Clever is now in as director of rugby. Uh, Todd was a minority partner in both Huns Rugby Management and Austin Elite Rugby, and it sounds like uh, you know we're we're bringing in one of the uh, you know the most capped Eagle ever. So he should be able to tap into his networks, uh, identify uh, a good young coach. Uh, I want to see a good young coach that who's been on the cutting edge uh, of, uh, you know, rugby brought in so that you can build a, you can be, have a program builder uh, here rather than, I guess, you know, uh, Alan Yarde. Uh, he it was a program builder. If you look at his, uh, if you look at his resume, but he was also like French and, you know, he's, he was French, sort of, and not really to go after my, my French people because I love them, but he was just, uh, it just didn't work out, you know, um, and they definitely needed a change. People weren't coming to games and they, they went 0-16. Holy hey, moly. 
So um, in the French rugby league, do line judges hold white flags up when you go into touch? But um, tush. <laughs> Uh, Dave Williams, I, I'd heard about this two weeks ago that it was possible. And, you know, when you finish on a skid like that, yeah, it doesn't matter if you somehow don't have a losing record, but you didn't make the next step. I mean, we probably should have been undefeated and they probably should have been champions last year. And this year they they needed to make the next step. I, I don't know who did their recruitment, but they whoever did their recruitment didn't bring in multiple locks, or at least he didn't select the locks that should have been playing. And they, their scrummaging really didn't improve. In fact, it disimproved throughout uh, you know the season. So maybe there will be a scrum coach change as well. Uh, but I, I think Glendale has a lot of coaches. Glendale develops coaches. Glendale has a former pro head coach. Uh, as their director of amateur rugby. So I don't necessarily think they will look outside the organization for that uh, change. Uh, money, um, if everyone put money on this, Luke Gross is probably your inside contender. Uh, former Eagle Lock, I think he, he has over 50 caps. Uh, he is also a crossover. He was a Division I basketball player. Uh, so if you want to find locks, I'm pretty sure he's going to go find locks in places that I've been talking about. You know, Division One basketball schools. Think about it. Um, uh, yeah, accountability is a thing. And it really shows the growth of a league to where even a, a pretty healthy organization will get rid of its coaching, its head coach. I mean, they have an academy. They're, bringing, they're recruiting in like 18-year-olds to come in and learn and graduate through their system. And they're the only team that has done that since the beginning. So if they're saying, hey, we need to make a change, what does that say to everyone else? Quick question. Uh, was Williams with them uh, back when they before they went pro, when the Raptors was were still just a high elite uh, level club yeah. team? Um, yeah, he, he was their skill. Sorry, go ahead. Like So, I mean, he was their last – was he the last PRP coach? No. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I was just going to say he definitely um, – so that the year before they went back into the Red River, um, he was definitely the coaching in that PRP season. Yeah. So like so, – so, so, so they were in PRP one year. He wasn't the coach. Then they went to Red River, and he I think that was his first year coaching. Then they went back to PRP. Um, oh, no, no, no. Luke, Luke Gross was head coach for the for the Red River season last year. So it was like two, it was like three years ago yeah. when he took over for Snyman, um, who uh, I don't know him at all. I just know that he was their coach before uh, Dave Williams. He was the uh, associate head coach of the Denver Pro team and uh, was a skills coach. Uh, and played for the Glendale team for a long time. So, I mean, he was a Glendale guy through and through. If they're willing to get rid of a Glendale man through and through and look elsewhere, it says a lot about that organization and move forward. So, Liam, did you have any thoughts on this topic? No, nah, I mean, I just I, I wasn't entirely surprised on the developments, um, but Aaron kind of covered all the facets surrounding them. So, All right. Well, in that case, let's get to one of my favorite things. Uh, let's figure out how bad we did on our predictions. I wasn't here last week, so y'all y'all, y'all started this fire, forest fire. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, so our guesses last week were provided by uh, Craig, who uh, filled in for Liam. So uh, in, in Liam's place, I'll go ahead and read Craig's results along with our own there, Aaron. So uh, first game of the week was Wednesday night. And that was Raptors at Houston. And we had uh, Aaron had Houston by four. Craig had Houston by one, and I had Glendale by five. So I was full on wrong. Man, I, I was that. hoping I got I made that pick correctly. Oh no, wait, not that pick. Did I make the other one correctly? That's the question. Um, where's no the no second, I uh, you did not. Damn it. <laughs> so the I second made it, game, I made it right on Super Brew though. Well, that's good. <laughs> Uh, that's where it really counts. So second game was uh, Houston at Utah, and that one Aaron had Utah by three, Craig had Utah by five, and I had Houston by ten. So yay me. Yeah, dude. That, thank you, Corey. You finally showed some faith in the Sabercats. Yeah, I did. Well, I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't give him any faith against Glendale, so I guess 50% faith. So basically I'm Catholic. <laughs> no, you're Episcopalian. No, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> as, as a very wise man once said to me, I would be an atheist, but I don't have enough faith. That makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, all right. So, Sunday we had uh, Rooney at Toronto, and we all picked Toronto on that one, wisely so. Uh, Aaron, you had Toronto by five, Craig had Toronto by six. And I had Toronto by three. Ooh, almost, Corey. Almost. So close. Um, then we had Nola at San Diego. And we all picked San Diego on this one as well. So, Aaron, you had San Diego by 10. Craig had him by seven. And I had San Diego by three. Uh, the final score there was 10 to 22, San Diego. And the last game of the weekend was Austin Elite at Seattle. That was 38 to 26. Aaron, you had Seattle by 15. Uh, Craig had him Seattle by 14, and I had Seattle by 10. So, yeah, we were all within range on that one. Pretty close. So, yeah, not, not bad this weekend. Not bad at all. Uh, where are we at the end of the season? I guess, Aaron, you can do your final uh, standings wrap-up. For traditionalists, the points didn't matter. How about that? Yeah, thank God. That, that's why I said I was happy that Nola didn't get into the freaking playoffs. So I can like, I can understand that. I I, can, I feel you on that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, with the number one seed at 12-3-1, and one, 61 table points is San Diego Legion. Uh, at, with the second seed, 11-4-1, and one, with 58 points is Seattle Seawolves. At 11-5 with 57 points is Toronto Arrows. And in fourth place, uh, 11-5 with 54 table points is Rugby United New York. And fifth place, 9-7, 53 table points, New Orleans Gold. At 7-7-2, seven, seven 43 points, number six, Glendale Raptors. At 6-10-0 um, is with 34, 30 table points is the Houston Sabercats at, with 21 table points. At 2-12-2 is the Utah Warriors in eighth place. 
and the undefeated 0-16. 0-16. for the, the Hugh Jacksoning is uh, they did get a they did get a bonus point in this game. Um from a try bonus point. So they went from uh four to five table points in, in this one. So I guess good for them. Mm-hmm. There, but they for a long time they had a better point differential than the Sabercats. Uh well, um they definitely don't anymore. <laughs> Minus 217. The worst defense in the league. Officially official. There you go. Uh any word on if Austin has received their wooden dug yet? Um, I think it's going to stay in the hands of Bob Bobberson, but I think he's going to do what his, like his presentation, if he's listening, he'll do like the paint and color scheme. I think that's what he was figuring out last week and he will paint it and he will post about it on Twitter and probably Reddit. Um, and he may just tell us that we're all idiots and he'll actually send it to him. I don't know. The wooden freaking dunk. If, okay. So Bob, if you're listening here, I'm going to say this. If you would like to, you are welcome to come on the show and present it digitally to Austin and we'll host you for that. So you just jump right on. You let us know. And uh, we would love to host host the presentation of the Doug. <laughs> All right, semifinals, semifinals. <laughs> Who's ready for a Super Sunday? Super Sunday Part Doug. I am. Oh, so. no, I actually realized uh, I'm going to be flying back to freaking Boston on Sunday. Sucks to suck. Yeah, but I'm flying JetBlue, and guess what? JetBlue has for free on those planes, baby. CBS Sports Network. Wi-Fi? Oh, yeah. I, I was going to say Wi-Fi, but... Um, like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just... It, that'd be dope if they have CBS Sports Network. But, uh, yeah, no. So, yeah, I'll probably be watching on a plane, drinking $9 <laughs> Jack and Cokes. All right. So, first up, we have... Rugby United New York traveling to Torero Stadium to face off against San Diego Legion. This takes place at 5 p.m. Eastern on CBS Sportsnet Sunday. What are your predictions? Aaron, lead us off. So the last time these two teams played, it was uh, it was shit. Um, so, uh, and I don't think uh, New York really played that well against Toronto. Um, so is what it is. Uh, however, if we look at the games they played, I think San Diego of the two top seeds is going to be more prepared because of the intensity that they got, uh, from New Orleans goal. Uh, so I'm going, you know, San Diego minus 10. Uh, I'm going to go San Diego minus 14. I think, I think rugby United New York has a defense that is going to allow them to hang in this game and at least compete and be respectable. And I think, you know, the, I think the first half is going to be an entirely different tale from the second. Uh, mainly I think San Diego is going to win this game just by ball retention alone. Their offense is a lot more effective and New York is just prone to those dumb mistakes where, you know, they're, they're just not able to finish out a really good grouping of phases it's it's kind of Utah esque in the way they've uh, in the way they've played some of their games this season. So I'm going to go San Diego minus fourteen. 
I'm going to go with San Diego minus 10. I'm following Aaron on this one. And um, a lot of this has to do with just uh, San Diego's the top of the top of the charts right now. They're at the top of the league. And I think that they've just been playing some of the best rugby uh, in MLR right now. So why would they lose? And that would make life very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Next up, or I guess the second game of the weekend is Toronto at Seattle. This is at 9 p.m. East Eastern on CBS Sportsnet. Aaron, what you got on this one? So Seattle, I don't know. They didn't get the best preparation with that fixture against Austin. Uh, but I'm going to go with the home side because that crowd is going to be lit. Mm-hmm. Um, Seattle, minus three. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to go Seattle minus five for the reasons that Aaron mentioned, but also for the fact that while I believe that both of these teams are pretty reasonably balanced uh, between attack and defense, I think Seattle just has a lot more big play potential and a lot more uh, reliable of a defense between the 22s. So uh, Seattle minus five. And I'm going Toronto minus five on this one simply because I think that they are peaking at the right time. I think they've got the hands. I think they're going to come in there, and I think they're going to bowl over the seawall uh, there in Seattle. So that's my prediction. Plus, I love being contrarian, so we got that going for us. Oh, we know. <laughs> All right, fellas. Let's do a lightning round of questions from Bob. What do you say? Uh, 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 so, yeah, let's do it. Rugga Buggas. How much is the name? It- yeah, good name. How much does it cost to join the league and set up a team? Then how much is it to run it for the first season, roughly? So I heard next year, or yeah, for 2021, some, like somebody has already paid $3 million for a franchise fee. So, uh, wow, that's a lot of money. Um, good for them. Glad we're there. Uh but running a team, I think if you run a team on a shoestring budget, there's going to be a salary cap increase, probably about 100K, I think. That probably makes the most sense. Maybe 150K increase. Last year it was only a $100,000 increase, so it might be 75K increase for all I know. Uh, but um, shoestring, probably a million and a half if you're doing it right, if yeah, that makes or- sense. Yeah, or if you're uh, you're not paying people to film practices or compensating them for gas, you know, you save a lot. <laughs> you know, just make your employees all salary. No, 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 no. Don't, don't you, you make them all hourly, and then you're like, and then you're just like, oh, I, I think you only worked like four hours at this event, right? I was there for ten hours. <laughs> <laughs> Seems fair. Or Liam, you're helping to build something. That's what your sacrifices are doing right now. Believe me, I know. And like, it, I, I'm not even joking when I say like I, I tell myself that a lot. <laughs> um, you know, I guess this might be a great opportunity to mention that we did have some news on Reddit this week, uh, or maybe it was last week, saying that there's an LLC has been set up in Ohio um, for, uh, for t- potentially an Ohio team. So speaking of how much does it cost, we don't have those exact numbers, but there is already activity talking about 2021 and into the future of MLR. So mm-hmm. 
And, That's kind uh, of a... And in Ohio, um, after the first season of PRO, the Ohio Machine, uh, one of the professional lacrosse uh, teams there, they were originally going to do like a joint venture on a new stadium with the Ohio Aviators, but then the wooden dug and it, it, that whole story, that whole thing happened. Uh, but basically, the Ohio Machine ended up with their own stadium that they now share with like a bunch of high school teams and shit like that. So they there's already you know the the, the venue space is there for a team to. Uh, come to Ohio, you know, what will Tiger Tiger Rugby's absence, you know, in, in that whole thing do to the state? I don't know. But, yeah, that'd be cool. Well, Paul Holmes ain't moving. He's just working in, yeah. uh, in, in, the Georgia, in, Georgia, in Georgia right now. So yeah. um, we'll find out. if uh, I know that he was working with someone. He was working with an investment group in Ohio. So it may be – I wouldn't call it a Tiger split, but I would call it like regular Tiger that operates all year becomes like three month tiger and Paul Holmes eventually, you know, works as director of rugby for an Ohio team. That might be, that might happen, but it ain't happening next year. You can see he's playing both sides so that he <laughs> always comes out on top. There you go. Right. Uh, good, good for Paul. Um, I feel like so many of our, of the jokes on this, if you're not, if, if you're not engaged with at least a few, you know, facets of, 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 of pop culture, you're just like, what the hell are these jokes? <laughs> well, this is a show that was literally founded off of Reddit, so I think we we kind of know who our, our audience is, Liam. <laughs> All right, next up, SD Yeti. MLR coaching vacancies is the topic at hand. Seems like there's quite a few openings between new teams and recently recent leavings firings. Uh, where are these coaches going to come from? Does it seem possible for some of the current assistant coaches to be moved up? So there's definitely a possibility, at least in one team, about an assistant coach getting moved up. However, I can't comment on that officially. Uh, there's 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 a, there's a lot of coaches, uh, both domestically and abroad, who are looking at the who are looking at MLR as a huge opportunity uh, to either you know you know, strengthen their CVs or to kind of wind down their careers. Um, the, the people who looked at who are looking to strengthen their CVs are more so the domestic, uh, you know, coaches here in the United States who kind of want to grow their pedigree as well as some of the younger coaches over in Europe. But I've, I've personally talked to two, uh, uh, two people now who uh, have coached in Europe in their earlier years. Now in their later years, they're trying to make the jump to major league rugby. So there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of places where a somebody who's qualified to be a head coach in the United States can come from, even if they're not qualified to be a head coach, you know, in a country that where rugby is more predominant. Aaron? Um, so I think that, you know, I think you, you could see two assistants um, or two coaches that came from the structure of those teams get promoted or a, a tag taken off um, the interim tag taken off uh, for one of those, one of those coaches. Uh, but I, I think some, like I would love to see more college coaches that are college head coaches be brought in. I, I would really love to see like a Josh Macy uh, come up uh who uh, i'm trying to think um gavin hickey justin hickey both of those guys really uh they would be cool um dave clancy the director of rugby for chicago lions uh you know was 
at one point going to be an MLR coach because the Lions were going to be in Major League Rugby. Uh, you know, um, who is Dominic Waring from Old Blue? He's a young foreign guy um, who's definitely at the, 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 the pointy end when it comes to creating offenses. Uh, he would be cool. Um, Marty Veal could come back. He's coaching in the Japanese top league. I know that some Japanese top league coaches were making some calls to, or their agents were making some calls to teams trying to find out if there was going to be some changes. So you might see that. Uh, Jake White, the World Cup winning Springbok coach, his, his contract ends with the top league team he's coaching and he's he's moving back to South Africa. I don't think he's retiring, but I think he's like, Japan's been great and I'm out. Because <laughs> his, his record's okay. It's not bad, but you could end up with a guy like that looking for an MLR job, which would be amazing. A World Cup winning head coach, right? Um, but I, I think most, the, if they don't go internal, I do I think they're going to go foreign, and I don't think any current assistants will be hired by somebody else, if that makes sense. Interesting. So that guess, wasn't really a lightning round, but there you go. Yeah, no, it, it, we are not lightning oh, anything. It's okay, uh, Aaron. Just take a look at this at the uh, the side conversation bar, and we we kept ourselves occupied during your spiel. <laughs> Uh, don't don't blow a blow a gasket there. Uh, <laughs> okay, Robert Gibbs won. Favorite, least favorite match of the season. Um, my favorite match of the season, you know, just for personal reasons, was Houston versus NOLA. Um, there's there, I mean, San Diego versus Seattle. Uh, you know, in the their their first matchup of of the of the year, that was definitely a good one. Aaron, what was that match? I think it was like two weeks ago where we were all agreed. It was like, I think it was an Austin match where we were like, this was an awful game. Like, was it Rooney versus Austin or something? Yeah, like that? New York versus Austin. Yeah, that, that was by awesome. far the worst oh, game of the season. What was it? Uh, my favorite game. Uh, that game where. So San Diego traveled to Starfire the second time, right? Mm-hmm. That game, yeah. the physical intensity in that game, and I think the week before when they played New Orleans, those were my two favorite. Well, no, because New Orleans wasn't as physically intense as San Diego was, but I think that was the difference. Where I was like, man, San Diego in that game, I was like, San Diego is different. They they different. They bigger. They faster. Uh, but the the physical um, intensity of that. Seawolves San Diego game was man, so I thought somebody died in some of those collisions. <laughs> All oh, right. Also, um the free free jacks versus Rooney in the preseason. I also lo- lo- really like that game. Fantastic. MG Ski Rugby. Venue changes for the twenty two or twenty twenty season and crowd predictions. Go. Um, Aviva is going to have a ton of fans. Um, it's, it's loud already. When, when Aviva gets packed, it gets really loud. People are enjoying the stadium, um, and the area around it. It's, 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 it's starting to come up, but it's, it's not quite there yet. Um, I think 
Yeah, Aviva's going to see some great numbers. Uh, I haven't. Uh, New Orleans will be changing venues. They will be leaving the Gold Stadium. They will be playing at a minor league ballpark in the, the Shrine on Airline. Yep. In the same fashion that that uh, Austin um, and uh, that Austin and Houston did. Meanwhile, up in New England, uh, from what I've heard, um, it, Boston Tea Party Museum, bro. It's going <laughs> to yeah. happen. They're going to um, figure it out, and there's going to be yeah. a rugby pitch. Right there. Yep. Uh, they're they're looking at they're looking at spaces, um, you know, in the in in the in the GB area, um, Greater Boston area. So Malden, Chelsea, um, you know, obviously uh, Canton is is still an option. The only thing is though is Canton is like, you know, 30, 40 minutes south of the city, and it's kind of like a suburb. So uh, Bill Burr is is from there actually. So that that, that that's an interesting. How about Marion? Right on the shore. Mary, Mary, like where I'm from, like Marion Court. No, like Marion on the south oh, shore. Oh, the, oh, oh, the actual town of Marion. Yeah, like, yeah, no, because th- there's a there's a college called Marion Court in my hometown. There's there's a uh, there's a very rich kid, uh, board, sailing boarding school in Marion. It makes, I would say, if you ever if, if just because of, just because the school has a sailing team, all right, does not mean they're a bunch of all right, admittedly, my husband. <laughs> all I'm saying fire. is, all I'm saying is, when you drive through there, it makes you feel very poor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I've I've never been to Marion, but I've been to Duxbury. Um, Duxbury, it, I mean, if it wasn't so far out of the way, that would be a great place. Um, it's the second um, sec- second best lacrosse program, uh, public school lacrosse program in the country, and they have some great uh, they have some great fields, both turf and natural. So that would be cool, but uh, not not entirely sure about other uh, other teams other than Nola, Houston, and the Free Jacks in terms of their venues. So, Aaron, uh, you know, I I think crowds outside of Austin, I know like I don't know what they're going to do. Um, crowds, I think Toronto, um, you know, they just continuously built up. They had over three thousand this game, uh, although. Uh, you know, shit weather really impacted the attendance for Utah this year. They got over 3,000 for the first time this year, and they, they went up. Uh, you know, they had more of a consistent attendance spike rather than um, they were like a roller coaster last year. Uh, you know, Starfire, if they expand, you could have 5,000 people there every game. So that would be really cool. Uh, San Diego, I, I see them averaging – Based on this last game, if they if they can harness that, and especially if they win the title, you can see them averaging close to 4K because they've had continuous jumps across the the spectrum when it comes to their their attendance. Um, New York, I think, is they need to. I don't know if they're playing on Coney Island next year. Uh, I think playing in where Gaelic Park is may be cool, and it may sort of settle things down because they opened up like with good attendance and then had really bad attendance the rest of uh, the, the rest of the way. Fair enough. All right. Uh, Blur and Ski, who of the owners will be happiest and least happy with their regular season with regards to prior expectations? And the caveat here is this excludes Austin and San Diego. Uh, so Seawolves, uh, they're back in the championship series in the driver's seat with a home match. Uh, and I guess, 
I don't know. Uh, maybe the Sabercats because they spent $13 million on a brand new venue, but I think that's uh, given the way things worked out for them. Uh, they are probably okay. Um, I don't know. Utah changed up their roster so much and brought in a bunch of different coaches where I can't really know what their expectations were, to be honest. So maybe New York because love you, James, but James Kennedy was so loud about how good his team was going to be. They were good. They weren't, they weren't great. That good. Um, I might. I, I was going to say Utah at first, just because um, it, it seems like every game they get a pretty decent amount of people, uh, and every single game they seem to be on the verge of winning. And you know, I've 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 personally experienced what it looks like, you know, when owners and executives are watching a game and the result isn't going the way that they want, especially if they don't know much about the actual sport itself. So it can be kind of frustrating and Utah, the Kings of looking great, but not getting a whole lot done. We said it all season. Uh, Rooney on the other hand, they, their attendance wasn't where they thought it was going to be. Um, Cause big freaking surprise when you put a team on Cody Island, which is like the most frustrating place in New York to try and what get are you, to. What are you the- talking about, man? They got Nathan's. They got Nathan's. <laughs> Have you ever tried to get to Coney Island, like on New York? Like, it is the most. No, because I don't go to New York, man. It's like people. I know, I know. People it's, are it's, like New York. I'm like, bro. I'm from Los Angeles. I don't care about big cities. They all the same. They all bright lights. Who cares? Let's go to the farm. <laughs> Let's go shoot some things. Let's go fish. And that's why you come to New England, because we have Boston, and then we have the upper three with Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. <laughs> yeah, so it's everything. New York, it's, it's just like, oh, I'm from upstate New York. It's like, oh, all right, cool, dude. That's not <laughs> – but, yeah, so um, New York's attendance was where they, I think they thought it was going to be. Their performance on the pitch in the latter half of the season probably left a lot to be desired, so I'm going to go with them. All right. Last question. Oh, uh, also, I don't hate New York. I'm 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 friends with Trevor Cassidy. I support Nate Brakeley. Cahill Marsh is one of the nicest guys. <laughs> ever, but uh, yeah, uh, Liam. I think I, I mean based on the research I have done culturally, you are. It, it's like in your DNA to just like New York, though, what, isn't what, it? What What do you mean? How does one not dislike New York? Like. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember I had like a teeny little shirt back when I was like six or seven years old that like I wore it so much. It was like, I support two teams, the Red Sox and whoever beats the Yankees. Like, everybody had that shirt back then. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, well, around here we uh, say the same thing about Ohio State. So I guess everybody's got a villain, right? Yeah, I am a neutral um, in regards to – and the fact that I hate everyone equally, it's kind of if you if you watch Full Metal Jacket, um, he'll he's like, I hate all of you. I also love the smell of Molotov in the morning. <laughs> Molotov. I remember, I, or, I, no, I, is Napalm is Napalm. God damn it. That is a and that is a uh, what's the name? Um, Colonel Kilgore. Uh, I'm not. So not only did I get the wrong movie, I also got the wrong word. Good golly. <laughs> Guys, 
It is so freaking. I, I, I was I, I was a literal film studies major, and I I'd be embarrassed to list some of the movies that I haven't seen. So, all <laughs> good. Are, are we still uh, on from Bab? Yeah. All right. Somehow, so yeah. There's one more. Okay, Obcom. How will Rooney try to beat Legion's pressure defense? I like this question. Uh, go. Yeah. Um. They 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 have they have to play the quick ball. They have to be able to catch San Diego out of out of position uh, in much the same way that Lansdowne kind of beat the uh, Free Jacks in the first half of their game. They kind of they they, they forced the defense to come up. Um, they they found space on the outside as a result of that. San Diego, they're the discipline than the Free Jacks are at this point. They they're able to stay effective even with their defense spread. Uh, New York just has to find find a way to get them out of position and get those gaps because they do have guys like Kyle Marsh and Connor Wall Sims who can make them who who can make them pay if they're able to find space. So yeah, they they, they got to rack they need to rack up points because their defense is fully capable of performing in this game, but they just need to fucking execute. Uh, it's it's not just a pressure defense; it's, it's an umbrella defense. So they're going to challenge. If you can't be fat, if you can't do fast rucks, you're going to lose at the breakdown. Um, they just had, you know, let's talk about fast rucks. Uh, you know, New Orleans had a decent time being fast rucks, but they still gave up six breakdown steals against uh, San Diego. So if you cannot. Uh, solidify the breakdown and be fast. So if Petrie can't get up there and dig that ball out and get it out, you're going to lose it. And, you know, they are going to be very challenging and they will go after Cajal Marsh and they will go after Mike Petrie making, you know, it's with, within the context of the game, you just be physical and you look at guys like Joseph Aramalua and their, you know, their new guy, Josh Furno, or, you know, Jordan Manahara and, uh, uh, what and Saul Mwuching, like all those guys, like they they've all gotten a bunch of breakdown steals throughout uh, the season. So they can jackal and they can make you hurt because they you have locks running at pace through the attack and stealing balls from you. So that's the kind of defense they got. So I, no, I don't I don't see it happening. Sorry. Whoops. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, I hate on New York. This yeah, I was going to say, I think you're kind of biased against New York, Aaron. Um, well, he's a San Diego fan. Uh, <laughs> if New York wants to send me merch, I think San Diego has not sent me merch, bro. Do you see this? Yeah, that's... We need to make something perfectly clear with all with any and all team management or players <laughs> We are sluts for merch. <laughs> <laughs> you send us merch, and we will be fans of you. Uh, that's, that's pretty much how how this goes. You, you send merch. And <laughs> uh, yep. In fact, no, let's have a contest. Whatever, whatever team can send us the most merch it is the winner. Yeah, we'll, we'll wear it on air and everything. So, uh, there yeah. You go. Our dozens of fans will be really impressed with their stuff. Darn stiffy, they will. <laughs> uh, guys, I can't stay awake any longer, so this old man needs to go to bed. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm Gucci on this. So uh, what do you say you do the closing spiel, Corey? I'm, I'm, I'm down. 
<laughs> uh, real quick note on our way out. Josh is going to be at the Old Glory DC uh, Ontario Blues match this Sunday. So we'll have to have him on um, and maybe just do a quick update on how that goes. Um, and Liam, we completely uh, skipped the fact uh, that you were at a tournament yourself last weekend. So remind yeah. us and we will uh, hit you up for some information like about that in the future as well. Most definitely. Uh, any final thoughts on the way out, fellas? Um, so uh, I, I will be in San Diego or Seattle this weekend. Apparently, I get to make the decision, so that's that's cool. Um, I have jury duty on Wednesday. What the <laughs> hell? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm strongly considering buying a bottle of wine, but I'm actually not entirely sure how late liquor stores are open in Texas. I've never tried to buy. I've only i pr I've pretty much only gone to bars since like I've since I've moved here because I don't drink alone. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's gonna have some pasta, vino. Dude, I'm, I'm actually planning on eating pasta when we're when we're done with this, and I'm like excited. <laughs> carbs, carbs, carbs. I love carbs. Mm -hmm. All right, fellas. Uh, well, here's closing. On our way out, please note that all opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or practices of Major League Rugby teams or the league. Aaron Castro is employed by Major League Rugby, and Liam Poach is employed by the West Houston Lions and the Houston Sabercats. With that said, be sure to tune in next week. We're live each and every Monday night here on YouTube and available on your favorite podcast podcast favorite podcast platform you're, you're Wednesday tired, morning. <laughs> go home munson you're drunk <laughs> if you like what we do please subscribe to our youtube channel and our itunes feed uh well as long as you can since itunes is being shut down but whatever yeah uh, I, I heard about that today that was weird uh, it helps other folks find us and be sure to share your own news views and abuse with us on Facebook Twitter and Instagram thank you as always for listening we'll be back with all the semi-final action you can handle next Monday night until then get out there and watch some rugby thank you for listening to Earful of Dirt the Major League Rugby Podcast we're live each Monday night on YouTube, available for download every Wednesday morning through your favorite podcast provider, and always online at earfulofdirt.com. Subscribe to our channel on YouTube and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can share your thoughts with us via our voicemail by calling 720-600-2679. We're live again next Monday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. We'll see you then. Thank you.